Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Trina Sideros, and I'm a management consultant at PwC working with pharmaceutical companies on vaccines, mRNA, MABs, and other drug products. I also lead our Health Research Institute, also known as HRI. And I'm Igor Belakronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. Trina and I are here today with Nalnish Gaur and Robbie Higgins, who are partners in our health information privacy and security practice. We're here today to talk about cybersecurity issues and privacy laws that pharmaceuticals and life sciences companies are dealing with in China. So welcome, Nalnish, and welcome, Robbie, and welcome back, Trina. Thank you. Great to be here again. So Nalnish and Robbie, you've had an article recently describing the changes in regulations in China. And obviously, this is a huge and a very important market for a lot of companies. So tell us about what changes are underway. Well, thanks, Trina and Igor, and great to be back. So with regards to what is actually going on in China, over the last few years, from a cybersecurity and data protection perspective, the Chinese government has been very busy from a regulatory perspective. And really, they've been focused in on kind of two areas. One is what organizations should be doing in China from a cybersecurity perspective. And secondarily is from a data and information perspective, what controls should be put around data, not only within China, but also specifically around certain restrictions around data leaving China. Thanks, Trina and Igor. Happy to be here. Let me get into some of the specifics based on what Robbie just said. So there's really four big regulations that most of our global clients are focused on. Number one is the China cybersecurity law. This went into effect in June of 2017. And this is basically a broad law covering cybersecurity capabilities, operating guidelines, and audit requirements. So the second regulation is the multi-layer protection scheme version 2.0. So refer to as version 2.0 because, as you can guess, there was a version 1.0 before, and version 2.0 was introduced in May of 2019. And this is essentially the certification framework for compliance with the CSL provisions on a system-level basis. The third significant regulation was something that went to effect in September of 2021, and this is the data security law. And this law sets the global governance and requirements for Chinese data, data about Chinese nationals and its cross-border transference. And lastly, it's the personal information protection law, referred to as the PIPL, some people consider as the GDPR of China. And this went into effect in November 2021. This regulation lays out the additional requirements and enforcement mechanisms for personal data of Chinese nationals and its cross-border transfer. One thing I want to call out is the cross-border transfer of sensitive data is very important for the last two regulations, data security law, as well as the personal information protection law. So a lot of the work we're doing with our clients is focusing on taking a look at that cross-border data transfer and what it means for their compliance within China. So Nalnish and Robbie, it sounds like two of these, the DSL and the PIPL, are really pretty recent regulations. And the CSL and MLPS 2.0 are maybe been around a little bit longer, but they sound very broad. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about who exactly these changes affect, what kind of companies. Are we talking about virtually any company doing digital business anywhere on the globe will have to think about this, or is it more specific than that? 
So Trina, you bring up a great point, which is it's quite interesting how rapidly this has evolved over the last few years. I would say initially it was a lot more focused in on what would be network operators or anyone operating infrastructure within China. But really what's happened over the last few years is with the regulation as it's evolved, it's become broad to the extent it really has implications for anyone operating a business in China. That is, shall we say, managing from a technology perspective, any component of infrastructure and basically dealing with data that comprises many elements of whether it's people and personal information about Chinese citizens or employees of an organization in China. So it's really become very broad in nature. And that's why we talk about it in terms of implications for anyone who's existing in doing business in China or anyone who's looking to do business in China. I'd like to build on what Robbie just said, which is there is an aspect of dealing with the data on Chinese nationals, but the data that's in question over here is the data about Chinese nationals, but also data that is important for the national and economic security of China. So really any company that's providing services in China, any global corporation that is doing business in China, any global entity that is looking to start doing business in China. They all have to take a look at their businesses, their processes, their technologies, their people that are providing those services, whether it be sitting outside China and providing it to nationals in China, or whether it be them sitting in China and providing those services to constituents in China. And that holistic view must be understood as you are looking at what is applicable to a given company doing business in China. That's very interesting. So it sounds like a broad impact, both in terms of who's impacted, but also the types of data that are impacted. And so what are some of these implications that you're mentioning for these organizations? What do they need to be thinking about? What do they need to be doing differently? I think to that point, Igor, what they need to be looking at is number one, is just for companies who aren't in China today, but are maybe looking at entering in the market is just from a strategic perspective. I think the key thing is over the last few years is that plan may change in terms of what they may want to do in country and how they do it. And what do I mean by that? What I mean in terms of what infrastructure needs to be put in place. Is that something that they partner with somebody to build? Is that something that they partner with someone to provide as a service? And understanding the movement of data and what can and cannot move in-country and out-of-country and cross-border. So I think understanding if you are net new in the country, what can you do? I think for existing organizations, many of them are actually having to make pretty significant changes to some of their operating model from both the technology and a business perspective, because many of the lines of business in which they operated, they operated in a global manner with quite a bit of data and information going cross-border. Now with some of the new regulations, they're actually having to take a look at and understand what data can leave the country and what data maybe cannot leave the country. Yeah, good points, Robbie. From my perspective, when we look at our clients, there's really three response types. The first one is let's do the bare minimum. Let's comply with the regulations, such as housing citizen PII data in China, migrate application or component that process PII while maintaining other global IT infrastructure. There is an impact of all of this, and there's a relative cost of doing the bare minimum compliance. It has to be thought about very carefully. So that's one side of the type of response. On the other side of response, you've got treating China as an island where 
you create separate systems, separate processes, and separate people and link them with some aggregate data with the mothership or the global company. And as you can imagine, this last option is very resource intensive, very cost intensive, but probably something easier to do for companies that are just entering the China market. For companies, as Robbie said, that are entrenched in the China business, have been doing business there for a decade or so, they are likely going to take a hybrid approach, which I call the anticipate approach. And in the anticipate approach, they would likely do all the things from a bare minimum compliance perspective, but they would also try to prepare themselves for the China as an island concept without actually executing fully on that. Now, one thing I want to make clear is our clients are basically doing all three of them, depending on where they are in their life cycle. But it's important to understand that each one of these has certain implications, both in terms of resource requirements, investment requirements, and their impact to their IT portfolio. Obviously, the China as an island concept is very high in all three of them. I'm wondering what's at risk if you fail to comply with these regulations? What could happen to a company that fails to comply or complies incompletely? Robbie and Nalnish, what do you think? Well, I think what we've already seen, Trina, is we've already seen a number of companies that have already been fined in this space for failure to comply. So the Chinese government has no problem in enforcing these regulations. And I also think, too, as well, we've seen it for companies and organizations that if they believe something has not been followed appropriately, where they come in and do some fairly significant audits and focus in on your business where they are spending time trying to understand how you intend to comply with the actual law. So I think one of the things that we recommend to our clients is to engage with the Chinese authorities on this. And I think one of the key things is in striking the appropriate balance in terms of transparency, while also ensuring that both your critical assets and insights that you protect them at the same time. Because again, what the Chinese government has from its interests, from a government and from a society perspective, in many cases, there may be some differences in terms of what an organization and its priorities. So I would say engaging with the authorities is something that we would advocate for. Yeah, Trina, the penalties are well published out there and they vary by the type of regulation. So there's a set of penalties that are defined for the China security law, another set of penalties for the data security law, and a fairly severe set of penalties for the personal information protection law. That is the maximum business financial penalties. And then there's personal financial penalties for leaders in the organization, and that can be as much as a million yuans or uh, 157,000 US dollars. So there is financial implications, but really more than the financial implications, I worry about the restrictions that are placed on business operations in China, which can be far more damaging. And there are numerous examples out there of what has happened to companies that have failed compliance and the subsequent consequences to their business. Now, I think when companies are thinking about implications, the financial penalties are fairly well defined, but it's the business consequences that must be carefully analyzed as you embark on your compliance journey within China. It sounds like a pretty daunting set of requirements, but at the same time, obviously, this is a market that's too big for any organization to ignore. And so for organizations that are new to this marketplace or that are considering entry into China, what are the things that they need to be doing to make it a successful entry given these changes? 
Uh, well, I think, and it may sound quite simple, Igor, but I would say one of the key things is having an understanding of the law itself. And so to the four new laws and the frameworks that Nalish has kind of pointed out. And I would say that for anyone who is looking to enter into the market, number one is understanding the law, the regulation, and having a strategy and plan with those in mind. Because again, I think three or four years ago, those laws weren't in place. It was significantly different what some of those considerations are than they are today. So I'd say having a strategy in and around that. And then taking a look at specifically in-country, there are probably one of two real key options, which is one is around what you may partner with a company in China to help build out those capabilities for you. Or secondarily is instead of maybe partnering with someone to build it out, is someone provides those capabilities as a service to you. But they are probably the two things to consider. But I'd say first and foremost is having a strategy with the law and regulation in mind. To add to what Robbie said, I think structuring of the business is an important aspect of how companies should be thinking about it. Many of those who are entering new markets are structuring a separate entity for China. So that is a key aspect of how you think about it. And then the other piece of it is thinking about the key business systems. Do you place them in a data center? Do you put them in the cloud? What about the processes around them? And what about the people who will support that? Typically, the three go hand in hand where the technology, the people and the process have to be well thought out. So to Robbie's point around strategy, this isn't just about defining a broader business strategy, but it's also important that you take it all the way through the technology strategy. So you have thought through how your business is going to exist in China. Well, from a business perspective, if you take a look at the pharmaceutical market, China is now the second largest pharmaceutical market by revenue behind the U.S., it is a projected value of more than 300 billion by 2025. And while China still accounts for a relatively small portion of most major pharmaceutical companies' revenues, the growth prospects has many of them pursuing and focusing on the Chinese market as a key part of their overall growth strategy. It sounds like if you ignore or sit on these regulations or don't think of them through completely, you could find your business completely hobbled now and going forward, even as this huge healthcare market expands. And so it sounds to me extremely critical to do this now and not wait. Is that right? I would agree. I think having a strategy, having a plan and an understanding, and then figuring out as an organization who you're going to partner with in China, because even if you get outside of the industry we're in and the largest organizations in the world that are present today in China, no one is going it alone. Yeah, I would say that thinking about it more proactively is the way to go. You, in this case, are working with a regulator who is very particular about enforcement actions, and there's plenty of evidence available there. So the last thing you want to do is wait to see what's happening to others. You have to be deliberate. You have to be intentional about coming up with your plan and strategy, and then you have to execute on it. There's also a misunderstanding out there that is perhaps a shortcut that someone larger, bigger than your organization has this figured out. And I have to say that there's no shortcut here. You just have to be very diligent, deliberate, and frankly, make a decision at some point whether this is worth your time, what's your business. This is fantastic. Robin Nolnish, thanks so much for joining us and sharing these insights. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Really loved having the conversation with you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Trina. Thank you, Igor. Much appreciated. And all success to our clients looking to endeavor on the China market. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. 
Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.